Welcome to the preaching podcast of Poplar Springs Baptist Church in Hiram, Georgia, and the preaching ministry of our senior pastor, Wayne Meadows. It is our desire that the message you hear today would call you to a closer walk with Jesus Christ, and that your life would give glory to God as you apply the biblical truths proclaimed. For more information about the ministry of Poplar Springs Baptist Church, check us out on the web, www.psbchurch.net. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the preaching of God's Word. If you have a Bible with you tonight, I want to encourage you to open it with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And I want to read for us in just a moment, verses 43 through 48. Matthew 5, 43 through 48. Eight. And as you come to this passage and, and see the words there uh, that constitute these verses, you'll recognize it, I'm sure. Uh, these words are um, perhaps one of the more difficult statements that Jesus uttered for his disciples to follow after. Uh, these are the words that Jesus gives us, the instruction that he gives us to love our enemies, to love our enemies. Lord willing, Sunday, we'll come to Ephesians 6, and we'll look at that passage uh, where Paul gives us insight and instruction regarding spiritual warfare. And uh, as I was thinking about that, this passage came to my mind as well. Obviously, uh, we have spiritual enemies. Uh, Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, verse 18, about enemies of the cross. And as believers, we know that our allegiance to Christ Uh, brings us in direct conflict with many in this world. It's a life that we're called to live. It's a fight that we're called to face. C.S. Lewis described it this way. The world, he said, is enemy-occupied territory. The world is enemy-occupied territory. And Paul will instruct us in Ephesians 6 as to how we engage uh, in this fight But the words of Jesus here in Matthew 5 have great bearing as well as he calls us to love our enemies. So if you've got your Bibles open, follow along as I read. And you hear the word of God tonight from Matthew chapter 5, starting with verse 43. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. May the Lord bless tonight the reading and the teaching of his word. Listen to the words of Martin Luther as he spoke about the life and the ministry of Jesus. He writes, Jesus Christ lived in the midst of his enemies. Jesus Christ lived in the midst of his enemies. At the end All of his disciples deserted him. On the cross, he was utterly alone, surrounded by evildoers and mockers. For this cause, he had come to bring bring peace to the enemies of God. So the Christian, too, belongs not in the seclusion 
of a cloistered life, but in the thick of foes. There is his commission, his work. The kingdom is to be in the midst of your enemies. And he who will not suffer this does not want to be of the kingdom of Christ. He wants to be among friends, to sit among roses and lilies, not with the bad people, but with the devout people. Oh, you blasphemers and betrayers of Christ. If Christ had done what you're doing, you would have never been spared. Luther had quite a way with words, didn't he? But I think he was right. Christ lived and ministered in the midst of his enemies. And he calls us as his followers to do the same. And in doing that, he gives us a very hard word to love our enemies, to love our enemies. I think perhaps our familiarity with the Sermon on the Mount and uh, our familiarity with this particular passage that we're looking at has, has perhaps caused us to not feel the weight of what Jesus is saying. It's lightened the punch that accompanies Jesus' words. He says, love your enemies. Who in their right mind does that? Who loves their enemies? That's what Jesus says. That's what he calls us to. Now certainly there are many questions that we would have about loving our enemies how we should do that and what exactly that looks like. And, and I t- tonight cannot answer all of those questions. I know it's an experience uh, that many of us will struggle with. And this is a place where many of us, myself included, still need much growth and sanctification to take place in our lives. This is a hard thing. Love your enemies. Love your enemies. So as we hear this instruction, this command from Christ... Uh, I want us to walk through this passage and and ask four questions. Ask four questions that will help us, hopefully, gain some understanding of the command that Jesus gives to do really what we would consider to be the unthinkable and love our enemies. So question number one, who are our enemies? Who are our enemies? So Jesus tells us to love, so we need to know who they are. And certainly uh, we have some insight in the passage as to who our enemies are. Verse number 44 tells us very clearly, our enemies are those who persecute us. Jesus tells us to love those who persecute us. Love those who seek to do you harm. Love those who despise you. Love those who hate you. Love those who really, in some instances, may even want to kill you. Those who willfully seek to inflict pain and suffering for the faith that you have in Christ. These are the people that Jesus calls us to love. Those who would persecute us. We also see in the passage that it's not only those who would seek to persecute us, but they're also described in verse 45 as those who are evil and unjust or unrighteous. Those who are evil, unjust, and unrighteous. As we go back to the passage in verse 46, Jesus says, love those who persecute you. 
Verse 45, so that you may be sons of your father who's in heaven, for he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. So Jesus here is giving us some categories to think through. He says he is a God, the father in heaven that gives sunshine to the good and the bad, the just and the unjust. And so in calling us to love our enemies, it's clear that in these two categories, which one he has in mind. Obviously, it's not difficult to love the good. It's not difficult to love the just, but it's the evil and the unjust. We get love those who persecute you, but I think if we're honest, still honest in our culture today, we're we're still not quite there. I think we're getting close, but they haven't quite yet picked up sticks and rocks and guns and bullets and pitchforks and everything else to come after us. So in our immediate context, we're still not there seeing those who would persecute us physically. However, how the numbers have increased of those who are evil and unjust, of those who would despise us and our values and our morals. I think we see that everywhere today, don't we? I mean, we see it from Washington, D.C. to small communities all across our country. Those who despise the ethic, the values, the morals of our faith. And perhaps more so than any other group, those who would name the name of Christ. It's amazing to me that you can talk about anything say anything, believe anything, but yet the moment you mention Jesus or mention Christ or mention the faith of a Christian, everybody wants to have a stroke. Those who are evil, those who are unjust, that's who Jesus is calling us to love. This is really hard now, isn't it? Because I think we could all probably think of someone in our minds or Someone in our family, perhaps, or someone that we work with, or maybe a politician that we didn't vote for, that would fit this category. Those who despise us, our values, and our morals. But there's another party that Jesus calls us to to love here. Not only those who would persecute, those who are evil and unjust, but then in verses 46 and 47, those who aren't our brothers are our neighbors, Verse 46, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? So it's easy to love those who are like us. But Jesus says we've got to learn to love those who aren't like us. Those who aren't our brothers. Those who differ on things that we hold to be important. G.K. Chesterton was quite a character. I don't know if you've ever read uh, any of his works. But he says this, great saying. We know that the Bible tells us to love our neighbors, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. The second command is likened to the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. So we know that the Bible tells us to love our neighbors, Chesterton said. He says, but it also says to love our enemies, 
probably because generally they are the same people. Love your neighbors, love your enemies, because generally they're probably the same people. There are some people that live next to you, that live down the road from you, that live across from you, some people that you associate with, that because of what you believe regarding Christ and the life that you seek to live to glorify him, they're your enemy. So Jesus says, love our enemy. Who's our enemy? Those who would persecute, those who would despise, and those who simply aren't our brothers or our neighbors, those who are different than us. But the second question we've got to ask in regards to this command that Jesus gave is, what does it look like to love our enemies? That's really what we want to know. What does it look like to love our enemies? I I do think we struggle when we hear the word love there. Because in our westernized culture, uh, when we hear the word love, we have this romanticized, coddling, uh, sympathetic um, idea. But that's not what Jesus necessarily meant. He gives us some instruction here on what it means to actually love our enemies. First of all, verse 44, to love our enemies means that we pray for them. We pray for them. You remember what Luther said? Jesus lived in the midst of his enemies. At the cross, his disciples all deserted him. And there he died alone, surrounded by mockers and evil doers. But what did Jesus do in their company? He prayed for them, didn't he? He prayed for them. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus prayed for his enemies, even as they were crucifying him on a cross. He loved them enough to pray for them in that moment. We see this modeled in the life of Stephen as well in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 7, you remember Stephen often recognized as the first martyr of the church. His death was commissioned by Saul, who would later become Paul. Stephen, as he is being stoned, Literally, as they are picking up rocks and bashing his brains out with them, he prays for his attackers. Acts 7, verses 55 through 60. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. The witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he cried out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, He fell asleep. What does it look like for us to love our enemies? It means that we pray for those who persecute us, despise us, and are different than us. We pray for them. We pray that the Lord would be merciful to them. We pray that their hearts and their lives would be changed by the gospel. We pray they would come to an understanding that they need a Savior, and that Savior's name is Jesus. We pray for them. That's what it means to love them. But we also hear in the words of Jesus 
that to love our enemies means not only that we pray for them, but we seek to meet practical needs as well. We seek to meet practical needs as well. Look at what Jesus said in verse 45. Verse 44, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Verse 45, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. Meet their practical needs. What does every human being practically need? They need sun. They need water. They need this to provide crops, provide food, give them sustenance so that they can survive. We see the Lord providing this even for his enemies. Paul would pick up this theme in Romans chapter 12 and verse 20. He writes there, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. To drink. We love our enemies when we seek to practically serve them. Words and thoughts are not enough. Doing good involves all the things of daily life. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. Thirsty, give them something to drink. In the same ways that brothers and sisters stand by each other in the times of need... They bind up each other's wounds, ease each other's pains. Love the, loving the enemy uh, means to do good to the enemy. Where in the world is there greater need where are deeper wounds and pain than those of our enemies? Where is doing good more necessary and more blessed than for our enemies? You know who wrote that? A man that practiced what it meant to love his enemies. His name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer was? He was a pastor. He was a spy. He lived in Germany during the rise of the Reich and the uh, Nazi army under the reign of Hitler. He was a believer. And he called Christians to a a strong discipleship. And in doing that, he realized that he had to love his enemy. That didn't mean that he didn't fight against the enemy. But he recognized, where is doing good more necessary and more blessed than when we do it for our enemies? Jesus says to love our enemies means that we seek to serve them practically. Practically. And then we also see in the words of Jesus tonight that to love our enemies means that we need to be pleasant with them. We need to be pleasant with them. Verse 47, if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same. He says if you don't acknowledge your enemy, if you aren't cordial to them in greeting them, You're no different than those of this world. Paul would write in Romans 12, verse 14, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Live in harmony with one another. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. 
These are some real hard things, aren't they? Jesus says, love your enemies by praying for them, meeting their practical needs, and being pleasant with them. Third question, why? Why? Well, the Sunday school answer would simply be because Jesus said so, right? Why do we do this? Because Jesus said it, and that really is enough, but Jesus elaborates on why we should have this ethic toward those who would be our enemy. A couple of reasons. Number one, when we love our enemies, we're demonstrating God's character. We're demonstrating God's character. Jesus tells us in, in verse 45 that it's the Father who gives sunlight and sunshine to the evil and rain to the unjust That he's benevolent and bestows common grace toward all men. This is how God operates. This is who he is. And as children of God, we should demonstrate his character to the world. We should be as he is. So that means that we love the way that he loves. And that means we love our enemies. It demonstrates God's character. And then Jesus tells us in verse 46 and 47 that when we love our enemies, it sets us apart from the world. It distinguishes us from those who don't know the love of Christ. This is verse 46 and 47. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Even pagans can do that, right? A lost man can do that. An unconverted man will love those who love him. But Jesus says we're to be different. Our love of those who hate and despise us, of those who would even, that would seek to persecute us, offers an example and a witness to the world that is watching. It differentiates us from the world. It gives us a strong witness. Why do we love our enemies? Because it demonstrates God's character. It gives us a witness in this world. But then thirdly, we love our enemies because it develops us spiritually. Jesus ends this part of the Sermon on the Mount in verse 48. He says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. That's a pretty high standard, isn't it? You must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. But the word perfect there doesn't imply perfection per se, but maturity, completeness. This was the idea of the word in Job chapter 1 verse 1 where Job is introduced to us. The man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, the man that was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. So Jesus is saying if we would model the completeness of God and how he loves others, we've got to love this way. For us to love that way, we've got to develop spiritually. We've got to grow. We've got to become sanctified. We've got to mature to be able to do such a thing. 
So why do we love our enemies? Because it demonstrates God's character. It differentiates us from the world. And it grows us spiritually. It matures us to become more like Jesus Christ. So one final question. How do we do this? How do we love our enemies? I think tonight, all of you here, and hopefully all of you watching, are people that would say you love God's Word, and you love the God of the Word, and you want to see your life shaped by it. Therefore, you want to love your enemies. We understand in the words of Jesus why. We understand who. But how? How do we do this? How do we do this difficult task? of loving those who would persecute and despise and are so different from us. Let me give you two ways. Number one, let the gospel compel you. Let the gospel compel you. In Romans chapter 5, Verse 8 and verse 10. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote. God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Remember what John 3.16 said? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave him, he sent him, John 3, 17, on a mission, a mission to give his life as a sacrifice to die for us. So God shows his love for us. He displayed that love to us while we were sinners as Christ died for us. Paul goes on from that and he argues then in verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Do you hear what Paul says there? God loved us while we were enemies to him. God loved us while we despised him. God loved us while we marred his glory God loved us while we missed the mark and the standard that he had set. God loved us even as within our hearts we were kicking against him, persecuting him. He loved us while we were enemies. And when we understand that that's how God has loved us, that we know a God and have been saved by a God and worship a God who loves his enemies, it can compel us to do the same. To say it in the opposite fashion, we cannot love our enemies apart from loving the gospel of Jesus Christ. The word that Jesus gives us in Matthew 5 to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us, to, to do good to the evil and the unjust, to, 
to love those that would despise us. It's unnatural. We need the gospel to change our hearts to do this. The gospel is what compels us. It's what captures us. It's what motivates us to honor the words of Jesus here in Matthew 5. How do we love our enemies? Let the gospel compel you. But then secondly, how do we love our enemies? Let the gospel assure you. Let the gospel assure you. I think one of the struggles that we have in hearing the words of Jesus here in Matthew 5 and loving our enemies is to think that if we love our enemies that somehow their evil, their injustice, their persecution is overlooked, negated, not dealt with. But the gospel assures us that God will judge sin. God will judge sin. He has not called us to execute that judgment. No, instead, he has called us to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us. But the gospel assures us that sin will not go unjudged. Evil will not go unpunished. Injustice will not uh, be allowed for eternity uh, to be undealt with. Paul writes in Romans 12, 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. A lot of us as believers, we we want to focus on the justice aspect of things. And that's, that's not wrong. We hear the psalmist crying out, Lord, how long? Why do the wicked prosper? When's justice coming? When will things be made right? But in seeking justice, we can't neglect the command of Christ to love our enemies. Ultimately, the justice that we seek will be meted out in the timing of a holy God. A God who doesn't wink at sin, a God who doesn't bypass sin, but a God who judges sin in every regard. Vengeance belongs to Him. I've shared this with you before, but it's worth repeating as we think about loving our enemies. The wills of God's justice turn slowly. But they grind finally. The wills of God's justice turn slowly, but they grind very finely. Nothing, no one will escape. Furthermore, when we think about God executing his justice, we, we realize that ultimately justice is only a lifetime away. Is it not? What did the Hebrew writer tell us? It's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, what? Judgment. Judgment. 
I know that there's a day of reckoning coming, that day when Christ Jesus returns, and that day when final judgment ensues. But, but understand, judgment never outlasts a lifetime. When that last breath is taken and drawn, those eyes close on this side of eternity, we stand before a holy God. The gospel assures us that God will judge and you know what that does? It frees us then to follow the words of Jesus. To love our enemies. To pray for them. To bless them as we can. To grow in our sanctification in doing so. To be a witness to the world as we do it. To trust in the gospel, the gospel that saved enemies like us, and the gospel that says God will deal with sin most certainly. It's a hard word, but it's a word that Jesus has given us. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word tonight. And Lord, we know that we live in enemy-occupied territory. And Lord, it would seem, from our perspective, that in these days that the enemy is increasing, the wicked prevailing. And Father, we do cry out for justice. We pray that that which is wrong would be overturned. We pray for that which is not pleasing and acceptable in your sight to be done away with. Lord, we want to stand in this fight. We want to be bold. We want to be present. But Lord, we also hear the word of our Savior tonight telling us to love our enemies. And sometimes that's hard. And in those moments when we find it difficult, may it remind us that we need to again remember the gospel. And in those moments where we would perhaps speak out inappropriately, that we should instead pray. And even in those moments when we might would mock or scorn, let us seek to serve and to bless. And Father, as we do this, we pray, Lord, that it would be a witness of the amazing love that you've shown us. A love that has transformed us and changed us. And that by this, others might come to know you as well. Father, we pray for grace, pray for mercy. We ask for forgiveness because we know there are many times 
that this exhortation, this command that Jesus has given, Lord, we failed to do it. Father, I pray that as we go from this place tonight, that we would marvel once again at how you have saved us by your grace. Let us preach the gospel to ourselves every day that we might be able to display it in all that we do. Father, for these who are sitting before me, for those who have joined us online, God, would you go with us? Would you let our faith in Christ be firm, our confidence in your word unshakable? Let's be filled with your spirit and yielded to your ways. And may our lives make much of you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.